So I listened to the episode that we recorded about abortion, uh, the third uh, take at that, and yeah. the, first, the first one that was published. And um, yeah, I I think it was stronger in a lot of ways uh, than the first two, uh, and yet I find myself being pretty critical of of how I showed up and <laughs> realizing at least in the first part that you know you you had a lot of space to I think really clearly uh, articulate what you stand for and why um, and I didn't do that until much later in the episode and and maybe in kind of fragmented ways hmm. so yeah I at the but at the same time I'm also of a mind of well, it is, it is real. It is where I am. And part of this whole expedition for us is, is to um, fine tune our thinking, sharpen our swords, and not necessarily in the, the headbutting of debate, but in the camaraderie of, of, of dialogue and saying, mm -hmm. so, so it, is, it is all helping me um, learn and grow in very real and meaningful ways. And for that, yeah. I'm grateful. Um, and the reality is, you know, I don't think, <laughs> you know, I, I, it's a funny analysis of fear for me, um, that, which relates to a lot of the things we've talked about, and certainly just human fear. Yeah. Um, and, and then, of course, how does that scale under tribalism and laws and beliefs and all kinds of things? Um, and so if I were to live purely based on that fear, we would probably record 10 episodes and I would not, not want to publish them, uh, which I, you know, I don't think is fair to, to you in the sense that you're making an investment here as well in terms of time and energy. So, yeah. Yeah, and well, it's funny, you had read a, uh, that Teddy Roosevelt quote about the man in the arena. Um, key to that, the man in the arena is, you know, the one who's sweating is the, is the one that certainly Teddy Roosevelt would admire as opposed to the critic. Uh, writing about the uh, the performance in said arena, uh, the armchair quarterback, the Monday morning quarterback, whatever, uh, the talker, not the doer, or even maybe the not even talker, um, is uh, the arena is a key element to that. And an arena is a public forum. Uh, so the public foruming of our efforts, I think it's one of the genius things about podcasts in general, is enabling, enabling and even social media, for good or bad, uh, enabling people to get in the arena. It is a, it is an arena. It is when you make, when you make it, and of course I'm an actress. So to me, performing by myself is rehearsal. It's not, it's not, it's not the thing. It is preparation for the thing. Um, so yeah, let, letting things be out in the world for good or ill. Um, that's the arena. That's the, uh, that's how you do it. The, the man does not fight in the arena and get dusty during practice. That is certainly not what Teddy Roosevelt was talking about. That is not, so in some ways it's uh, eschewing vulnerability, um, being being silent. It's sort of like, it's caught, in some ways it's kind of, it, yeah, it's the, it's doing the opposite. I think of what it, is this, the prevalent psychological treatment for uh, fear or trauma, which is like getting close to it, examining it, getting all up in it. Like if, if you have a thing, you you know, it's a, exposure therapy seems to be the most popular uh, like the most prevalent, like certified uh, way to deal with it. And likewise, if you have a thing, then examine it, 
and it, we in our conversation we get to examine it so that's part of the process and then expo and then putting it out to the world and i mean i think literally 23 people or something have, have listened to it at this point um so it's <laughs> it's not a monumental wave but still that's the exposure to 23 people if you're performing to a show of 23 people i mean for off off broadway that can be a great night you'll be like hey we have an audience there's dozens of people there it's kind of a big deal um yeah and i I would yeah. also round up 23 to dozens, yeah. Yes, exactly. At least it's dozens of people. Yeah, and well, I do the same thing. I mean, I'm, this is the funny thing is, this is an interesting thing about the Teddy Roosevelt quote is the, the, those, both of those offices, the critic and the, the man in the arena can be the same person. And I certainly did, I do the same every time we have a conversation here and I'm like, oh, wait, I didn't, I try not to like, I don't want to prepare, uh, Th things that I'm going to say generally, like in terms of how I'm going to say it. So then I'll often say things just in a freeform way, responding live here. You know what I mean? I don't want to get in my writer brain. I want to stay in my improv brain. Um, but that means certainly at the end of episodes, it was like, oh, I really wanted to talk about this thing and say this thing that I really was like, I think this is an incisive thought. And I never got to say it. Um, but at least the one good thing about that episode I thought was good uh, from the previous one as we talked through in our sort of recap of like why we paused or did shelve the previous ones is uh, when I sort of click through, I do like a spot check before I, when I'm editing and putting it out. And at least when I click through for the spot check throughout the entire episode, click, I just literally click along the timeline like nine, 10 times or something, just to kind of make sure audio quality is relatively cohesive um, before publishing. I usually listen to the entire episode after publishing. Um, is every time I collect but one, uh, you were talking. And I don't, and I don't think you talked, I, I probably still talked more than you, but that was just something we were trying to address. So in some ways I was like, oh, okay, well, at least we did that. Like at least, and I know you intro the episode too. So I was like, oh, at least we got, the, like, we can make progress in the way that we Congress with each other, uh, with, with uh, attention. So I thought that was doubly, uh, doubly cool. Uh, and I, uh... No, it felt it did feel more balanced in that way, and and I had more, I had opportunities to, to come in more, and just noticing, yeah, when 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 do I go abstract? When do I? Oh yeah, not address not address something you said directly that I don't don't agree with, or you know, so I'm, I'm noticing those things, and oh, interesting. I, yeah. I, I I'm often feeling like kind of in a deficit energy because you do a lot more, you know, direct research than I do. Um, you know, and I just have to to lean into that. Well, that's not me, and that's not. I don't know. That's that's just that we'd have different ways of approaching the world and the information. And, and I have a, yeah. I would call it like a more intuitive approach. Absolutely, that's exactly what I was going to say. I was like, yeah, I think we I think we meet in the middle of of combinations of both. But I certainly I think I over I, my percentage of, uh, of rational over intuitive is is greater, and I think your percentage of intuitive over rational is greater. Yeah, I, mean, I think we have the both, but yeah. So I think that makes a lot of sense, and it makes a lot of sense too. This is I want people to hear this who are listening, who maybe feel uh, combative towards this entire conversation potentially, uh, is you can walk away having no reason to think or hold the position that you have, and still feel like you have to hold it. And that is, I wouldn't say you should go while well, I'm right. You shouldn't assume you're correct, but you should at least assume that that is a reason in and of itself to hold a position. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? And I say that as a like a dominantly rational person that if you have it, you're like, ugh. Because ultimately, down to the core, 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 even if it's not foundational how we arrive at conclusions, it is, we have, there is a little bit of a follow your gut that we cannot ignore or pretend doesn't exist. I think, you know what I mean? That gets a little too all or nothing when you're like, intuition must be overruled by rationality. You're like, well, I think to me, yes, in the final, in the final analysis, that's what I would do, but they have to both be in the room sharing their thoughts. Like I was just writing about the heart, the throne room of the heart, biblical speech. The heart does not mean uh, what you want. It doesn't mean your intuition. It doesn't mean your feelings. Uh, I think actually it's like the liver or splajnon, I think it is like the liver, the kidneys or something in biblical uh, language means the feelings. Uh, but heart means the center of the self. And I always think of that as like a throne room with all the counselors around it. And rationality or your mind is there, memory is there, um, emotions are there, um, intuition is there. Like they're all there advising you. And I think these are all legitimate and interesting ways to, to, to walk through the world. Yeah, well, there, I don't know if this has come up, which is kind of fascinating, but there is some really interesting research around like how we make decisions and they, we can now measure that it's the emotional center of the brain making decisions and then the rational part of our brain rapidly like within milliseconds finding explanations for those decisions and one of the demonstrations yeah. of that was a the people were um, had brain damage in the in the emotional center of their brain and they would just ask them to choose between a black and blue pin mm -hmm. and it would take them like an hour mm. like so it's just it's yeah. fascinating like how, how like whether whether people own their rationality like you do or whether a lot of us just think I'm making this decision based on rationality and logic. Like that's just not, yeah. not always yeah. true. Maybe, maybe rarely true. Yeah. I think but, it's, but I think, it's yeah, it's, it's like interwovenly true. But I think there is a difference between just making a decision like that kind of almost as a, like a consumer decision and then the ethics of how we are together as a, as a society and as a species, which is more yeah. the realm we're going into. Yeah. Well, let's look at, let's continue to look at this question from both of these analyses. This is totally classic. I am Brendan McNamara. And I am Andy Swindler. I said the whole name today. This sounds very important. Uh, we are examining the central question, is abortion ethical? Uh, this is part two of that conversation. I think we can kind of zoom in on the, hopefully on the actual question. Uh, a lot of, and I, it's not that last episode was all uh, meandering. It wasn't. I think it was, it was trying to address, I think a lot of, questions that I thought people would be like, hmm, why are, you, why are you examining is abortion ethical? You should be talking about A, B, C, C, D, et cetera. These are the fundamental, this is the fundamental question. And I wanted to address all those and why for me, those aren't the fundamental, but the fundamental question is the question we're examining or else why would we examine it? Indeed. And uh, once again, Brendan has, I, I think offered a pretty balanced outline for this today. And I, Maybe one reason we stayed more balanced in terms of airtime was that I led us through it. Would that be okay for me to do that again? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm far less uh, organized, so go ahead. Well, you're the one who made the outline. Uh, yeah. But it is, it is intriguing, I guess, as another kind of piece of commentary. Some people perceive me, me being in like an interview position as you giving you a platform. I think you said once that, you know, oh. asking questions is the ultimate power. <laughs> And, and so, there is yeah. there is a power to you know like we were just talking about yeah. the senate thing which there'll be another episode i'm sure um, yeah a, a senator interviewing somebody and there certainly are power structures related to somebody 
sitting up high and asking somebody questions, you know, from a, from a seat of power. Um, yeah. So. Well, especially because I feel as a people pleaser and a performer um, and someone who likes answering questions, uh, when someone asks a question, stranger, enemy, whoever, I feel duty bound to answer that question and to answer as many questions as they ask until the point of like, oh, now you've been abusing me for 35 minutes saying mean things while you ask these questions. Eventually I will walk away. But my, it, it, it takes, I literally have to overwhelm my intuition. I have to ignore my intuition, which is it is appropriate and kind and humane to answer questions. So for me, it is like, I don't know. It's like the, whenever people ask me questions, it's like uh, Wonder Woman, her lasso of truth. There's the lasso of truth on me. And I'm like, oh, I better answer. I have to, I have to answer their question. This, this makes telemarketer phone calls very difficult for me, you might imagine. No, I, I think I can relate to that. Um, and I guess I want to offer a couple of, um, it's funny, the other day I heard that even the term trigger warning can be triggering. So I don't know. <laughs> one of these days we're going to do maybe multiple episodes about language. So yeah. But one thing we share in common is the general idea of harm reduction. Um, we yeah. have different, different ideas about what harm is or, or how that could be done Yeah. Um, or, or why. But um, I, I feel like I want to just at least notify folks that this episode will address uh, topics such as obviously abortion, as Brendan said, um, and then specifically looking at, uh, you know, is that murder or killing is gonna be one of the first questions, um, you know, looking at uh, the, the harms related to that, uh, hopefully in a fairly balanced way. And then obviously we're two men talking about that. So, you know, if any of those things you feel like would cause you harm to hear about uh, from us, then we would not be offended for you to just move, move along. And of course we invite you to stay in it with us because we're here in the arena and uh, we don't think these have obvious conclusions. That's why we're in it. <laughs> that's, that's why this is literally the, the fourth conversation. This is just nine hours of, and this that doesn't factor in the many, many hours we spent texting or for me, I've been talking about it people for 30 years. So it's a little, it's a little complicated. Okay. Yeah, I, th I thought define can be defined as murder is killing as you brought up and the and I it was just like that I think that might be a helpful thing for language uh, uh, sort of proceeding with a mutual la language understanding as we sort of talk through it because I was like I feel like it came up a, a, a sort of a not a bunch but a little bit in our last episode and I was like uh was like we should probably like figure that out for the cohesiveness of our conversation. I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on whether it's murder or killing. Um, yeah, so I have a couple. So one of my reactions is like, I, I feel like the word maker, maker, I don't know what that word yeah. is, uh, murder is um, incendiary and potentially triggering. And that's, I don't know, maybe my own projection. I think that is some of the feedback we got um, yeah. earlier episodes. Yeah. Um, so I wanna, I wanna put that out there uh, yeah. and, you know, I'm curious, I think you have a pretty distinct, just, just empirical definition of those terms, even if we stepped, not limited to abortion, right? Just murder and killing. Like, well, what are the definitions yes. of those terms? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that's, it's fundamental to the entire abortion conversation. Um, 
And so I, it's one of the things we talked about last time was like, I don't think you, I don't think it's reasonable or intuitively appropriate to not discuss abortion as killing. Um, and I think this is where we've spent, I, I couldn't even tell you the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of hours arguing about this in a way that's not, it's not real. It's, it's like, it's fictional. Um, it's, it's the cessation of human life. Uh, cessation of human life is not always ethically wrong in classic ethical consideration, as well as just reasoning through it or intuiting through it. Uh, I often, uh, I, I say that out loud because I am, as I've said on this, and I want people to understand this, I am not opposed to capital punishment. I don't like it. I'm also kind of open to the abolition of capital punishment. My, I, I, I vote, the last president I voted for was anti, uh, anti-war, anti-abortion, anti-capital uh, punishment. Um, was his name? I can't even remember the president I voted for in the last election. It's pretty hilarious. Brian somebody. Brian Carroll, I think his name was. T. Brian Carroll, something like that. Anyway, um, but I do believe capital punishment executed properly is, a, is an example of killing. Uh, killing, I would say, is, uh, is essentially justified homicide, justified uh, cessation of life of another human being. Um, I, I tether that to, this is my definition, and you can share yours, um, volitional um, harm offered by the person you're killing. Um, murder to me is the deliberate cessation of human life without volitional harm offered. Now there, there would be obviously rare exceptions to that, meaning if, I don't know, remember Genghis Khan used to uh, remember, like everyone knows the story, but whatever. Um, Genghis Khan, I remember at one point he reading that he set up this platform. He had his like followers, his like army build this giant platform and they set up like a dinner on it. And he and all his generals or whatever sat on this platform and uh, dined. And then he put layers uh, of his enemies living under the platform and there was spikes I think too so they literally like sat on a floor under and his enemies were under the floor and they as they ate they were slowly crushing and asphyxiating um, people underneath him uh, very creative ethically heinous <laughs> however uh, I would consider that murder, for example, because they weren't in combat. Um, he may have considered that killing because they were people who represented a, a viable threat to him. The people in there would have had to deal with some circumstances where if someone could figure, like someone was squirming on top of them and they're like, I'm going to die. Someone may have adjudicated, well, this person isn't volitionally doing, attempting to do me harm, but their actions are causing me harm. Therefore, maybe I'm going to choke that person out and kill them. So they stop wriggling. So I live for another three to four minutes or whatever, and I can move their body off of. And I know that's, that's I wanted to use a real world example. Um, I understand, but I would say generally, almost statistically all circumstances, that would be my definition of murder. Who knew I did not know I was going to talk about Genghis Khan today. <laughs> I know, that's a vivid, vivid example. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, um, that's helpful for me just to have the, the definitions. Um, yeah, well, that's, that's then, my understanding. Yeah, and well, sure, and I'm happy to run with that because I haven't I looked them up uh, as, as just like, yes, yeah, so let's use that set, language set. And then, yeah, I mean, I don't know, to me, like uh, relating that to abortion, can we define it as murder or killing? I, I feel like 
maybe more than answering that as a question that feels like what we're that feels like what the whole rest of it that feels like a framing um or oh know. interesting oh sure yeah 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 well how well actually but then how would you like you don't not without looking it up i'm, I'm not i'm saying my definition of murder is absolutely an amalgam of literal definitions that I've read and also just cultural, my perception of cultural understanding and my own, like trying to make it as succinct as possible. Do you have even just like a cultural thing of how, how would you generally, in and of just from your own cultural understanding, like what would you consider like the simplest definition of murder? Um, a large collection of crows. That is accurate. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's similar. I mean, if murder is, uh, yeah, in, in intentionally ending another human life, um, that, that, yeah, is not objectively justified. That makes sense. It feels compatible, you know? Yeah, compatible. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think all I did was add the like, I think my best understanding of what the what that justification would be. But but for me, again, it goes volitional, but I'm also, of course, parsing my definition specifically for this conversation, so. <laughs> well, and I think, I think is the whole point of this part too, is, is, well, yes. is, is it justified? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, sorry, oh yeah, you're leading us through the, through the uh, outline. Yeah, and I'm noticing to try to just really pay attention and, and sort of, I don't know, grow grow in real time. <laughs> I guess we're all doing that. Grow publicly. Um, I'm wondering if I'm avoiding uh, saying saying my own, you know, current thought about that. Um, so I think <laughs> at this point uh, that we are ending life. Uh, we're certainly ending the, the potential of life. Um, and I, I, based on you know what, what we talked about in the last episode, decided not to really even question necessarily when life begins in the in the context of this conversation um so to me it is uh i think falls into the killing category mm -hmm. uh, for the sake of the pregnant person uh which is also an interesting language uh shift for me um mm. having looked at a few actually well it was that it was that uh interview we'll, we'll just tease out we'll, we'll, we'll show that another time <laughs> yeah questioning the language uh, around, you know, I've been saying pregnant woman, but in the context of a, a trans man who could still bear children, mm -hmm. uh, I'm gonna adjust that language to trans, to pregnant person, uh, just just to try to keep myself up to date and everybody else, who, who anybody who's following along or cares. Um, so yeah, that's my take on it. I think you have the other definition, correct? uh wait the other definition in regards to what sorry that oh, it's okay. got us a little lost there no no it's okay do you believe abortion is killing or murder oh yeah no i, I think it's uh certainly murder in statistically all cases and i statistically all meaning there is there is absolutely a variance um and state laws in the united states reflect this and i'm 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 okay with that and i say that as an abolitionist i think i said this last time too where uh, there are cases where it is, uh, it, and this is why I brought up the Genghis Khan example, where it is, uh, where an abortion uh, can be done to preserve the life of the mother. 
not the welfare, not that that would not be appropriate. That's not an appropriate reason to murder for quality of life, uh, for emotional calm. But when, when life is threatened, I think generally that's kind of where we uh, adjudicate uh, as a society. And that, where, that's where I adjudicate, where uh, someone can continually and unknowingly cause you such harm that you will die, at which point kill, murdering that person, I think would, be, would qualify as killing. That would be the rare outlier um, overriding my definition of murder as uh, volitional, meaning uh, someone is continually enacting, whether they're volitionally meaning it against you, but they are doing an act that they desire to do, uh, in this case, to continue to live. Uh, so someone's continual existence uh, will cause your death. And that's why I thought the crushing example was a good, was a good one. Um, if someone lived on top of you, for example, uh, like literally lived on top of your body and they became more and more corpulent over time. And all they're doing is feeding themselves, mind you, but they became more and more corpulent by continuing to eat. And they're not trying to harm you. They might even feel sad about it. They're like, ah, oh, so sorry that I'm continually crushing you with my, my burgeoning weight. I think at some point, once that weight was like, oh no, I'm going to die. Killing that person who lived on top of you has to be, has to be on the table as, as an option. Um, but I just think as with all circumstances, you just have to adjudicate that. And I would adjudicate that as a rarity. So yes, I would say ex exclusively abortion is murder is a completely rational statement. Um, but obviously I just went too way too long into, into, into the very rare and unusual exceptions of that. Yeah, so let's let's keep moving so yeah the one way there's kind of two two big frames here one is the harm benefit analysis uh, of abortion and, and then a principal view um really looking at each each side each angle of this yeah so, the, so in the harm benefit analysis first we want to look at the harms of abortion uh both individual and social and then the benefits of abortion uh both individual and social yeah um you know, so so to me, you know, the, the the harms coming to mind. I think I think it's clear through all these discussions. Hopefully, clear. I'll make it more clear that you know my my strong bias is is related to the harms uh, of of the pregnant person, um, and you know, part of the reason I'm pro-choice and believe in legalizing it is I, I perceive that abortions are going to happen no matter what, and that there is harm, there's an increased in har likelihood of harm to the pregnant person if they're not able to do that in a, in a let's say a medically sound way. Um, mm -hmm. So that's, that's the first harm that comes to me uh, of abortion. Okay, yeah, my first, uh thought was the um the death of an individual i guess is the is the principal harm of legal of legal abortion so we're we're you're uh killing a person or killing a, hu a living human which is I, I just mean person in the colloquial sense uh because i don't i i, I ref refrain from although we can have it i refrain from relativist conversations around persons um because i think that's i just don't believe in that principally um, meaning just whatever someone's neurological there there is no there's no spectrum or scale of human value as far as my as I consider whether someone's uh, has 
autism down syndrome or is a flipping genius. So neurological development is not really relevant, uh, whether someone's, you know, uh, this small or seven foot nine, like size doesn't matter. Geography doesn't matter. Neurological development, physical development. If someone has four arms, two arms, one arm, like I don't, like none of that matters to me. So then I would just say that the, the death of an individual is certainly a distinct harm. Um, yeah, and maybe to make mine a little clearer, I think I found a way to sort of land in the middle of these, uh, but so in a way I was speaking kind of to the benefit of legalizing abortion. Yeah, you're, I think you were speaking more of the benefit of abortion, it, yeah, yeah. But the harm, it's the harm of sort of not doing abortion in a harm reduction way. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you want to, you know, let me, yes, let me, instead of, because you know what I'm doing? I think basically you skipped to the second part of the outline, the benefit of abortion. And so let me, yes, and you, instead of going, because I was just like, this is my problem with outlines. This is my writer brain, improv brain, where I'm like, if we have an outline, we have to follow the outline. Um, But my improv brain says, I should have yes, anded you. So I'm going to leave that. Go ahead and in my mind, in your minds, everyone, take the answer I just gave and put that in part two. Let's start then with benefits of abortion. So benefits of abortion, which you've already addressed, which would be um, which would be uh, harm reduction in terms of uh, maternal mortality, specifically related to uh, in the paradigm of legal abortion, uh, procuring illegal abortions, which we know uh, we're, we're talking, at least in the US, probably like anywhere from 20 to 30,000, like it, it probably in excess of, of um, gun violence deaths uh, is, is, is what we're like. And maybe more because it's, those numbers are from like pre the seventies, you know what I mean? So uh, now with the way our culture is, they could, it could be even greater. I mean, especially in, with, there's a ton of stuff going on that I think is super ethically problematic where a lot of people are basically saying, I'll aid, you know, aid and abet abortion is a new, like very popular sort of stance to take, um, which is hilarious because they're recognizing it as a criminal act, but I think it's done in like a we're outlaws sort of way. So I get that. But um, a lot of that has to do with medical, like taking pills and drugs and stuff and bringing drugs, shipping drugs across state lines. And I think that is such a bad idea. <laughs> that is this, let's, <laughs> this is a, but again, this is getting to the harms, but okay. So I want to talk about it because this is a medical procedure we're talking about, right? This is surgery of some sort. Um, anyway, but let's, this is, see, this is my difficulty. We keep going back and forth and I'm doing it too. Okay. A benefit of abortion, uh, individual and social government absence from individual decisions as a, as a libertarian and as a believer in the principle of individual sovereignty as a a key principle for the proper, for any proper society, regardless of how it's structured, that the that the value, and I don't think like, for example, ants don't think this way. I don't think China is, is that into this concept. So I know this isn't the whole world, but I think it's right that every individual has uh, some significant degree of individual agency, dignity, sovereignty, whatever. And so, Illegal abortion means that's yet another area where the government, the state, whatever, we can just, maybe let's call it the state for, for uh, terminology's sake, um, where the state is then imposing on uh, individuals. So I would say that's a, that's a, that's a benefit of um, legal abortion. Yeah, and I, 
<laughs> some of these aren't just uh, clear cut. So the fact that we're both weaving in and out of harms and benefits, uh, you know, feels at least we're in that container of the, those those two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's yeah. even the the principal argument <laughs> that I that I would come back to. Yeah, of the the agency of the pregnant person. Yeah. Uh, have you thought of more? Because I have another three or four that I've thought for benefits of abortion, of legal abortion. No, why don't you go for it? Oh, okay. Uh, less humans. No. <laughs> now that's a theory, like I don't uh, subscribe to that theory. Uh, there's many people who are like, oh no, we're overpopulated. There's plenty of people who are like, whatever, I know Jack Ma, Elon Musk are on this tip that like one of our primary issues over the next 30, 40 years, especially with the birth rate right now, post like in the midst of this pandemic period for all sorts of reasons we can conjecture about. Um, I think underpopulation is actually going to be our problem heading forward. Seems that's of, of the two arguments that seems more convincing. However, I have to I have to hold that it is at least tenable that um, that overpopulation can't may be an issue because I haven't examined it close enough to know. And I know people who hold those theories and and defend both those theories strongly. Um, but I would have to say that's a benefit of abortion because. The population reduction of abortion and this yes i know i'm sort of stealthily weaving in another one but if 73 million people are killed by abortion every year that is a significant pop population control method and this is and i'm not saying this is not controversial this is uh, the bill gates foundation for example has like promoted abortion access throughout the world specifically to get people to have less children in quote unquote less developed countries um so it is and that's, and I know you're like, no, no one's trying. Yes, people are literally trying to control the population. And I'm not even saying they're doing it purely out of evil. It may be evil, but it may also be they're like, they see this tenably as the only way that these regions are going to thrive. So they see it as like doing a harm in order that a greater benefit uh, would accrue. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I, I can't exactly quote the, and uh, you know, obviously, there's different opinions. I did hear this week from somebody I trust to do a lot of research um, that we use something like two and a half Earths of resources every year. Yeah. I, I, to me, that's just kind of obvious. Like we're over, we're not taking good care of the Earth. <laughs> no. And like she'll be just fine once she sort of kicks, you know, shakes yeah. us off. Shakes um, us off like fleas. Uh, so yeah, it's it's so anyway, could be a whole other episode, but generally, yes, I I. I believe we're overpopulated. Um, I wouldn't necessarily suggest this as the way to address that. Um, nor do I think fleeing to Mars is, is you know. <laughs> no, let's go wreck another planet. Yeah. Like, let's fundamentally shift how we use the resources of that are finite on our. Yeah, yeah. Little, little I was, I was, yeah. I was just talking to Archie yesterday. I was like, my one of my visions of what heaven is. So in the Bible, uh, heaven is not this like place where people go to like clouds and play harps or whatever, like in cartoons. But the sort of the end of all times is described as sort of a, a new heaven and a new earth. So all things being regenerate. Um, my theory, though, it's purely theoretical, is um, that whole prem like heaven or the sort of renewal of all things wouldn't immediately heal everything, but it would just heal the fundamental rupture, the fundamental sort of all things tend towards entropiness of existence, both morally as well as the earth itself. Um, and that I think we would spend the first maybe couple thousand years of eternity, like 
fixing creation, like fixing the earth. <laughs> like we're gonna be, we're gonna be, the cleanup is going to take thousands of years of concerted effort. Um, and I'm excited about that. I picture like swimming in the ocean with a whole bunch of people, almost like, you know, people dive out, jump out of a, um, an airplane and like hold hands and like a structure. I picture that in the ocean and we're all like collecting like plastic matter and stuff. And then we'll be bringing it to other groups and then making cool statues out of it and stuff like that or dwellings or whatever. Um, so yeah, less humans. Uh, a third one, um, uh, and I know I, I say all this, uh, this is not a trigger warning. This is for all my pro-life people. Um, and this is, I don't care whether you're triggered by this, um, meaning I like, I want you to be triggered. I hope this triggers you and I hope you keep listening. Please draw close to your trauma. Um, that I am pro-life and I, I have come up with as many things as I could uh, to, to say why abortion is a good thing um, because I wanna treat this uh, seriously. So be triggered away my pro-life brethren and sistren. Uh, uh, the, okay, the eugenics uh, statistically convincing aspects. Oh, that's what I wrote, okay. The con statistically convincing aspects of eugenics um, make abortion tenable. Um, uh, for example, uh, Down syndrome has been, I think in Iceland, has been eliminated in Iceland. So people born with uh, neurological difficulties, uh, let's, let's whatever call it, um, have been eliminated. So that eliminates the quote unquote, I don't consider Down syndrome people a, a problem, but I do have to, you do have to understand there is a, a pragmatic, we're looking at that from a scientific point of view, which has no morality, science, science and morality, Science has, has no reference for morality, but if you're looking at this a pragmatic point of view, the convincing aspects of eugenics, meaning if you can eliminate, abort uh, humans who wouldn't benefit society, uh, if you can, or statistically speaking, would be likely to suffer calamitous ends, crummy lives, be a drain on systems, um, a drain on their family, whatever. I mean, this is essentially the, the, the justification premise for, for abortion generally, right? It's like, this is, this would be a drain. This would drain. This is a drain. I cannot deal with this person in this time of my life for whatever reason. But especially with Down syndrome, I think is very specific. Um, eliminating Down syndrome, I mean, let's not front. I know people with Down syndrome. I love people with Down syndrome. Uh, I'm glad you exist. Uh, I wouldn't have it any other way personally. If though, we could set off some sort of magic bomb and eliminate Down syndrome. So then you were born and you don't have the same difficulties um, in moving through society. I don't know. It, I, maybe it's ableist of me to maybe even speak about that theor in theoretically, but that that's, that's at least theoretically, that's something we have to consider uh, of reducing harm on people's individual lives. Um, and so abortion certainly can, has been specifically weaponized and is in this country as well uh, in order to sort of reduce um, people in poverty, uh, in order to reduce um, uh, people uh, from low income as well as low intelligence, low IQ, uh, people with Down syndrome, neurological disorders, people with heart defects, people with, I mean, much of our like medical system, uh, many abortions that are like literally medically recommended are based on the perception of the quality of life that those people would have. And every individual human being's quality of life is interwoven with the entire system, everybody else's uh, quality of life. So I think that's another benefit of legal abortion.
Well, I, I um, appreciate you offering that. Again, I think I said it in the last episode. I, I want to, I tend to think of you as an exception. And then I realize, like, oh, I don't actually talk to very many pro life people. Um, but even the way you couched that and introduced that, <laughs> I'm assuming that may be true from your perspective too, which is a lot of our kind of meta narrative here of like just the tribalism and how people on all, the, all these sides and all these tribes don't, yeah. they simply can't, they don't and can't, you know, hear any other possible point of view, uh, perhaps because of the fear that. That, that gives the other side more ground. Um, and so then we end up in these locked. Yeah. Uh, I'm not gonna give you any ground. So I do appreciate that. Um, and yeah, and I think this is germane to the population control piece, but not to totally take us into what we um, kind of labeled as an um, adjunct argument about do the, do the, you know, that was about pro, you know, our pro-life people typically as concerned post-birth. Um, what I think is germane here is just like the idea that we're not, in my opinion, we're not successfully taking care of all life, all human life uh, on the planet in the way yeah. that, that I would like to see this, yeah. which is an ideal that is, you know, maybe a fantasy, but that's a lot of my disposition in life is, is very like purpose and vision oriented. Like let's, yeah, that North Star idea, like, well, we're never, yeah. We're not going to get to that star because it's floating. I don't even know how many billions of miles away, but yeah, but we know where it is. And we can keep you know heading in that direction. Um, so this idea that we that we do take care of life, and it's easier to think about life. I think that we can see, and I often label that, frankly, as as a problem in our world that we kind of only are looking at what we can see. Yeah, they came up with all the COVID stuff because it's like, oh, this thing we can't see is causing. All of these other anyway i feel like i'm drifting away uh and our time is a little shorter today um so i yeah wh why don't we i have a suggestion uh that we do the other part of this piece and then we actually pause okay and we we might for the first time combine two recording sessions into one episode oh yeah Potentially, yeah, or just do three, whatever. I mean, honestly, a ninety minutes. I know for some, I, if I see a podcast less than ninety minutes, I usually don't click play. But uh, I know other people that have the exact opposite response. So. <laughs> so they'll be scanning through and they'll only listen to this episode. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Okay. So why don't we talk about harms? Um, yeah. So why don't I? <laughs> I think I can attempt to do some version of what you did, even though I think you've. You have some notes on this, and I'm a little more off the cuff. Um, you know, the the harm, the, the most obvious harm, is is you know destroying human life. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the primary one. Um, I mean, to me, since I brought up eugenic stuff, I should go ahead and address since my pro-life uh, brethren and sistren are um, all triggered right now and feeling trembly and angry at me. Um, the reverse side of the eugenics thing is, uh, I think eugenics in general is ethically improper. So then the harm of abortion then means that a eugenicist's uh, state of mind is, is allowed to sort of hold the wheel. And I was like, I think that's, I don't, 
I don't like that. And that's, again, that's not about a slippery slope. That's literally about already enacting the bottom of the slope. Because I think uh, it was, um, uh, 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 I don't remember which set of notes, but I remember someone in what, who gave notes on either one of the most recent episodes or the previous one, but in, I think mentioned slippery slope um, or my concerns about slippery slopes. And I was like, ooh, I don't want people to have that false impression. Then I'm saying, well, if we do this, then other worse things will happen. No, I'm saying abortion is the worst. It literally is the bottom of the slope. And so abortion being legal means we're at the bottom of the slope, meaning the most vulnerable, the most oppressed uh, cast of people in our society are, are being legally killed. So that means we're at the bottom, that's the bottom of the slope. So then that means we'll fill in the slope. <laughs> so I'm worried about what's gonna fill the slope uh, sort, of, sort of in between. That would be like, um, like us, that's as more of a social. That's like a social concern, and I say that, of course, because whatever this has been well established, like um, largely in the black community. Uh, Margaret Sanger, founder of Planned Parenthood, for example, who is who uh, conducts of literally millions of abortions, uh, or have conducted literally tens of millions of abortions over their history, uh, was founded on eugenics principles of eliminating, and again has pragmatic purpose. You know, that's why I mentioned it in the benefits. Um, low income, especially uh, black folks, they, they were like this, look at these. And in some ways it was, it was meant to be paternalistic. Um, look at all these, these black folks living in squalor. Let's, let's they, they can't pull themselves out. We need to help them do the right thing that they won't do on their own. So let's, let's, let's get abortion clinics you know, in, their, in their community or whatever. Um, which I, you know, whatever. I'll, I have a separate one that's kind of connected, but I think I'll keep it separate. Anyway, that's a, that's a harm socially. Yeah, and I, I think uh, I know we have some different um, exposure to this. I think there's a, a psychological harm. Yeah, you know that like the I, I do know women who people who've had abortions and. Uh, not one of them, in my experience, has taken it lightly. It's it's something they carry with them throughout yeah. their lives. Yeah, and that statistically, that plays out. Um, the psychological harms. There is an increase of psychological harms, uh, depression, suicidal ideation, et cetera, et cetera, from uh, for, for women who have had abortions. And that could, and I'm sure people can analyze that to death. I'm not there. Yes, there are multiple causations as to why those things would occur. And you could be like, well, that's because they're shamed or whatever flipping you don't know i don't know all i'm saying is that is psychological harm is increased and so that's 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 that is what going what's going on um uh less humans but we've already kind of talked to the yeah, like less humans can be a harm if if underpopulation is our problem um if those theorists those theorists are correct oh i wanted to uh, run this one by you um i would say uh, systemic racism is enacted and so we're allowing if Again, I don't even know if systemic racism exists, but if it exists, again, I want to play on theory and practicality with all these um, harms and benefits. If systemic racism exists, it is being enacted certainly uh, in the abortion like industry, in the, in the practice of abortions in the United States of America, since it has specifically race-based eugenic foundations, like overtly, not even just like, oh, well, those people also did racist things. No, no, no. It literally was, it was stated that way and it played out that way where more, uh, you know, black humans have been uh, killed or murdered, depending on your, your killed by abortion um, in the United States 
1973, then black humans were uh, taken uh, and moved across oceans in the, uh, in the Atlantic slave trade. So we've lapsed that, which is pretty, that's a, that's a, to me, that's a stunning, I don't bring out too many statistics or whatever in this show, but to me, that was a stunning statistic um, to discover that, that um, it's over like over 12 million uh, black folks. And that's intent, we know that was intentional in terms of at least its foundation. Um, so then I was like, oh, so then where are we strengthening something we want to get rid of? Yeah, and I, I wanna look at more of the, I guess more contemporary, phenomenon or research that you are pointing to there um, yeah. because I it's often in in you know the circle, circles I'm in it's often posed the other way uh, which is that you know we're, we're taking away rights um, but it's often you know underprivileged folks you know lower income folks black folks uh, who, who don't have access to all kinds of health um, measures and in, in the yeah. U.S. And a higher mortality, maternal mortality rate. You know, so that's I, I think something that I want to unpack more. But the one that I would relate it to that is clear to me is that with chattel slavery, that you know, I know we were there was like a meme kind of comparing women to you know cattle, and to me that well that did happen, right? There there was it was forced impregnation in impregnation yeah. Um, yeah. Of, of enslaved Africans. Yeah. So that. that um, I think to me is is part of what is being fought against here, at least ideologically, that may flip us more into the principal um, category. Um, yeah. that's, that's that's alive for me in this, that we have a not so distant history of yeah. forced impregnation. Yeah, and then, and then systemically uh, making sure there's more, uh, sort of in some ways continuing that tradition by making, just changing the game. If you can get, uh, keeping the black population low enough so that they're not a threat to rise above the systemic racism, potentially, theoretically, of the uh, prison industrial complex. Um, and then if, so then, and if you can get them devaluing themselves by killing themselves disproportionately, meaning this is the, this is the whole point of introducing crack <laughs> into black neighborhoods is, uh, and this is, uh, and likewise, abortion is the same thing. So if you can get them killing themselves, then they, you can kind of keep them this. So yeah, I would, I would, I would consider it certainly a, a, like a, an explicit continuum by the same types of people, you know what I mean? Um, so then it seems, I mean, in some ways it seems really savvy. It's a pretty savvy, savvy move if you can kind of get people and listen, what some people would suggest that capitalism, uh, basically coercing a slave force to move into the current capitalism, capitalistic state is just going, oh, okay, we can't do it that way. How about over here, <laughs> where we empower you to do similar but different thing? It's gonna cost more, but it's gonna, it's it's not that far off. And I'm again, I'm not violently uh, anti-capitalist, but there is there's something there, folks. So I have a harm of abortion that is also a benefit. It's like a two sides of the same coin. Uh, I wrote, I refer to it as uh, patriarchal disenfranchisement. Uh, so for some people that could be a positive, uh, just in and of itself stated that way. But I would say it's principally a negative socially. Uh, legal abortion has led to this, a law where uh, a woman, mother, uh, specifically mother, uh, has um, 
rights, sort of judge, jury, executioner rights to end or continue or allow to continue the life within her. Um, fathers don't. So that has led to literally just telling the father, you are, you are less relevant. You are not half of this child's parent, really, functionally, socially. This also has, um, obviously, we, we can look at the 70s, and I think it really started before then. But since the legalization of abortion, fatherlessness has become ever more prevalent. There is absolutely a, a rising tide there. So I think that is explicitly connected. We know statistically, um, I think Obama talked about the most. I, presidents used to talk about it a lot, but I think Obama was the last person to kind of talk heavily about it. People don't talk about it anymore. It's very weird. I don't know. There's a cultural something going on. Uh, maybe because it's because of the, the fear or concerns about patriarchy, but whatever, I digress. Um, but fatherlessness, we know statistically, um, is a, an awful indicator uh, of outcome uh, that fa like fatherless children are just uh, many, you know, a, a notable percentage, a, a very statistically significant percentage more likely to uh, end up in jail, uh, end up in j addicted to drugs, uh, attempt suicide, um, et cetera, et cetera. Basically all the things of like, oh no, bad stuff. Um, and I, so then that does seem to be, now can you link all those things explicitly? I think they're more uh, generally causative. But I think this relates to what we talked about in the last episode where it's like men aren't even supposed to really like talk about it, which then again, especially for fathers, I was like as 50% of the responsibility for these children, society says, no, you're not. I mean, by virtue, it says, well, you certainly aren't 50% uh, of the agency. So then therefore you're not 50% of anything. You're, you are less relevant. You are not the dominant parent. And I, I, I note this especially, A, from research of like how this is played out, um, but B, as a father myself, who is the primary caregiver uh, of my children, I just, I also have some, I admit my own bias or personal offense towards that as a suggestion, with it, which is implicit in the way that the laws uh, are, are written. Um, but again, you may have a different uh, um, perspective on even just the phrase patriarchal disenfranchisement. Well, I know we have different opinions about the virtues um, or harms of, of the patriarchy, which we'll address in another episode. Yeah, as like an overarching system. Yeah, I I don't have a lot to say about that one. I, you know, as, I'm not a father, um, but certainly I'm, I'm an uncle and, and yeah. And I have, you know, generally care about fathers. I'm, I, I care a lot about uh, men and and the the state of men and the violence of men and the healing of men. And in in the, and I in this case, I, I yeah, I think there's a lot of contradictions. I think as a society, we're wanting men to step up. We're wanting fathers to be more involved. Um, and then and yet there are lots and lots of um, impediments to that. Everything from not having baby changing stations in men's bathrooms to yeah, uh, which is changing. I will say which is which is, which is yeah. changing. Yeah. But it, but it was brought up actually in the DEIB training recently, and I thought yeah. a pretty powerful example because a lot of these examples, yeah, you know, are gonna might make it harder for men to relate or care about this work. Sure. Uh, and it's like, oh yeah, oh gosh, I guess maybe things aren't always great for men. You know, just to have it woven in there. Um, yeah. But in this case, to be more direct about, um, so yes to, to the shared uh, responsibility piece. And, uh, the, you know, there's also just existing social constructs that are going to be really hard to untangle. I mean, I, I've heard from my friends who are fathers, 
that you know there are there mothers uh, tend to you know form social groups around things like school and taking care of the kids and whatnot that uh, mm-hmm. might not feel inclusive at a, at a minimum, but in some cases just are just plain out of view. Like like they don't even think yeah. to invite the father. Yeah. yeah. Think. So that's a contradictory social construct to me where it's like, oh, well, great. I mean, in, on the one hand, it's like, sure, I guess I understand why that's come to pass as, mother, as mothers have um, borne most of that burden, at least for the yeah. last couple centuries um but yeah is that is that something we're working on changing um you know more broadly in terms of how do we how do we integrate fathers how do we empower them how do we that's a power structure fundamentally right like like the communication is power yeah absolutely yeah yeah you don't know the the schedule or the what's happening or um yeah and i see that language a lot when i talk to uh pro-choice people um, in my DMs or whatever, um, or even just online, that referring to men as sperm donors comes up quite a bit. That is absolutely part of the, I don't know if that's, uh, again, with any, whenever you, you talk to multiple people and they say the same things, they've either arrived, arrived at the same conclusion or they're, it's all pursuant from the same source. I don't, so I don't know. I don't know what source it's from. But I hear that a lot when they're like, men are essentially sperm donors until the baby comes out. And so their, their opinion is not relevant. Um, as I've argued with people of like that, I shouldn't be saying anything. Whatever I've, I've had those arguments with lots, lots of folks. Um, but that's so that's just an interesting. That, to me, that, that I was like, oh, if this played out as large as it just is in my sample size, if that played out statistically, then it really does start to. It it almost demands men fill a role that I don't think anybody really wants men to fulfill. You know what I mean? This very like it basically goes back to this weird like 1950s dad thing of like the dad who just brings home the bacon. That's it. Like you just, you're just a contributor of material. I was like, I don't know. I, I, I don't like that personally. And I don't think that's beneficial for human development or emotional growth or you know, mental health or like all the good things, you know? Well, let's thing. more personal. Like what was your experience when your wife was pregnant? Like what were your responsibilities? Um, I, my, my responsibilities were largely um, protective, um, basically keeping her uh, safe uh, and then keeping the child of unknown uh, gender within uh, safe as well. Um, yeah, so they were largely protective, uh, investigative, um, comforting. I can't literally, I'm a touch, I'm a, it's hard because I'm a love by touch person and a love by talk person. So uh, I could neither touch or talk to, I, I talked to and sang to. Um, so my, uh, my support for my child was conversant, um, sonorous. Um, but a lot of it was about taking care of um, Archie, which, and to frame it in a personal thing, this is an interesting thing because certainly in my marriage, and I, I believe this is proper as opposed to just like, I, this is how I'm experimenting with things. Um, like RT is my primary concern more than my children. Like the, the family structure I believe is fundamentally pyramided on the stability of the union between partners uh, who, and then children have to be secondary. And I think we live in a society where that has been super, which is one of the weirdest things about abortion, right? Is that we also live in a society where like child-led um, parenting is a huge, at least in my circles, is like a huge thesis. Um, so it's like, that's weird. Like until they come out, 
whatever. It's up to me. Once they come out, it's all up to them. Th that makes no ge that's like a geograph that's like a transference of authority by location or I, I don't even know what principle uh, is involved that in there. But it's an interesting thing to note in terms of the protective instinct is uh, and certainly in my life was primarily for RT. And I never really even felt the full protective instinct over my children until they were visible, like we've talked about, they were visible to me. It was purely theoretical. I knew it was like the right thing to do to keep my child safe, um, but I didn't, I didn't know it. I didn't embody it. It was not embodied until my children came out and then I could see them. And then I was like, okay, now I know. Well, that's also interesting too, because it was also within. So I didn't actually have to, I know this is weird, but it is the protective instinct because I have it within me uh, intuitively even in, 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 in ways that I can barely understand. Um, it is proximal, physical. It's, it's based on an actual radius. Like, you know, people talk about their personal bubble. It's like that. And so when you're partnered with someone, especially in a permanent covenanted basis, a la marriage, even if relationships do, but marriage definitely goes it, it, it ossifies, it puts it, makes it more stone-like or bone-like. Um, that bubble, I essentially have a personal bubble, which and my personal bubble is actually very small. It might even be inside of my nostril, nasal cavities. It's not, I, I, I like touch. Um, so, uh, but it, it, it's, it's outside of uh, our team, my wife as well. And then when, when Aliyah, my first child came out of the womb, it, it's, lit, it's almost like I could see it. Like I could see the sort of invisible bubble go and like move out from around RT because that encompasses both into go and it was like moved around the child as well. Um, so my, you know, people say, oh, my daughter was born and my heart just grew like the Grinch five sizes larger. I was like, that did not happen to me at all. All it was was like, I now have to protect this child. And I wanted to, I feel the feelings of violence, honestly. I wanted to commit violence against every person in the delivery room and get them away from my child because they had not, I didn't trust them. I didn't trust them at all. I don't trust doctors or hospitals because I've been in and out of them my whole life and I, I find them very dubious organizations. Um, again, like the state, so this is why I understand the impositions of the state. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, so it's, that, that is, I think that is endlessly fascinating. And again, why I, I think protection of a mother is, is of, of like equal importance, you know, to the protection of a child. Well, I, I... I love this. I, I think the more we can make it personal, the more the richer these stories are going to be. Um, and Artie's been quite vocal about having postpartum depression, yeah. and, and that, which I applaud as an effort to destigmatize that. Yeah. Like, as like you said, it may be, maybe especially for, for mothers, this expectation of like, oh, you're going to be the perfect mother and yes. bond and all of these things. <laughs> if that doesn't happen, I can only imagine the layers upon layers of guilt. Um, yeah. So did that then also create you know if, if, when she was experiencing that did that place additional responsibilities on you do you feel like uh it did certainly in um well this speaks i'm gonna universalize this too but uh, let me just speak of it personally uh it absolutely did in terms of making the protection of alaya my child uh more paramount because i knew it was less a priority for rt um due to her consideration, like internal struggles of like, I've already failed at it. And so I had to be, I think, more focused on that. Um, I've always wanted to be the dad. I mean, I, I just think it's, it's the dad to be is the dad who's like all up in it. You know what I mean? Just like, who's skin to skin. I was skin to skin from the, the moment. There was never any like, well, I don't know. She changed the diaper. She can't, I mean, you know, I woke up for all the feedings. I do, you know what I mean? You're like, you're, you're in this together. This is a, this is a, 
this is a double thing. Um, but it is, it does speak to the harms, uh, the chemical, hormonal, uh, potential harms, or at least alterations uh, uh, to women uh, via pregnancy. And talk about high percentages. I mean, it's, it's again, it's estimated to be like oh, more than half women experience some form of uh, sort of either quote unquote baby blues, which is not quite postpartum or postpartum depression or even postpartum psychosis is kind of a spectrum uh, of experience there. Um, so yeah, so in, in, that, in that case, it, it did probably bring me into a divided energy, honestly, because I was like, it is my job to maintain I wasn't as concerned about the psychological well-being of my child at that age, you know, in the first three months of their life. It's really more just like keeping the child actually alive. Um, and then quite concerned about the more the psychological, like whatever, deeper or even more higher order um, uh, frailties of my wife in that time. So in some ways it's cool because then I at least have some first first person experience with these things. So they're not purely theoretical. <laughs> Somewhere also of like the detriment and burden of these of these occupations. Uh, it's it's not all uh, it's not all um, Instagram uh, you know whatever Streisand filters. <laughs> no, I, I I think you're you're certainly closer to the uh, creation of human life than I am, and yeah. uh, hopefully that humanizes anybody who um, you know what does wants to see you as less than human because of your ideologies yeah 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 which would be very funny um well and that's so that's but that also speaks to the wider abortion harm too is is like it's related to the father thing but in general um i think like legal abortion tends towards a social devaluing of human life in that it dictates that certain lives are, are worth less, which means that not all human lives are worth, are of, of worth, which then uh, to me cascadingly leads to, and this is, this again, this isn't a sliding, uh, sliding slippery slope. This is, oh no, we're doing the bottom of the slope. So that what fills in that slope are uh, the same thing that leads to uh, mass shootings or, um, racism, like rises of like uh, like white supremacy, like like genuine like white supremacist organizations, um, and nationalism, and jingoism, and xenophobia, and uh, anti like violent anti-immigrant sentiment, etc. Where it then says, oh, okay, well, because it open it, it's opened the door, and it's not only opened the door just like mm, maybe this is the case, but it's opened the door to the most vulnerable amongst us, and in some ways, I think like children having been around children, or even I think pragmatically in society that like children are the most in need of protection, right? Women and children first. And yes, you say women before you say children, let's be honest, let's put that in sequence. Um, but yeah, so I think uh, uh, like a, a society that says it's okay to kill these lives, well then, just like a society that's, we have a warlike society then devalues, like having it as active and prevalent and expensive a military as we do also fosters a lack of regard for the value of human life, which then filters out through all, uh, through all society. So that's a concern. Was that another one on the list? Yeah, that's another one. Devaluing of human life. Yeah, and I, I mean, it has, it has been uh, useful for me to consider just the, the notion of yeah, like having a sliding scale for for the for 
the value of human life. Um, and when do we value it and when do we not? Because in certainly in other areas, particularly, you know, racial justice, you know, that's something I'm actively fighting against. And yeah. Uh, and I know that's a correlation we've, we've brought up a number of times. Um, but just uh, the idea. I think I think you brought it up around personhood. Mm -hmm. there, there could just be a lot of examples um, of when it could be quite dangerous to evaluate for a third party to like evaluate the quality of a person or the value of a, of a yeah. person. Yeah. And essentially of me evalu evaluating you. That's to me, I was like, well, that's that's the stuff we're the most afraid of the state about, right? When they start evaluating, well, I can treat you this way, but I can treat you this way. And there's, you're like, well, wait, what is the, what is the difference we're talking about here? And again, maybe this will transition us unless you have something, I don't, I don't want to step on any, I, any concepts you wanted to bring up into the, into principles. Cause I was like, that's where it starts to violate like print, like ethical principles. So then here we can zoom into like, there's just kind of like a cost benefit analysis, but then, okay. That kind of gives us a pragmatist's view, but then that is only partial. That only partially informs, like what eth what informs ethics, you know? Because ethics are beyond. There are many things that would be ethically, pragmatically good, but ethically bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that was the if if a robot was making this decision. Yeah, it would yeah. end there potentially. I don't know. Maybe I'm not giving them enough credit. I don't. Know. I know. I know. I know. Look at you discriminating against AI. Well, and the reason I I think again this I wanted to keep bringing up the slippery slope thing is, is in general children are the most protect like needed to be protected functionally because we are we're in some ways we're a great species y'all in some ways we are oh my gosh i don't know how we made it this far if you ever watch like a, a baby deer fall out they like fall out sometimes even onto their legs and stumble about we are we need so much help which is great because we need to know that we need each other but like we are useless creatures pragmat like pragmatically other than energizing you know uh uh goodwill and like bon home or whatever. So like people gather together to protect children. It's kind of like how tribes form, whether it, it heads into government or not. You're like, oh, okay, protect the vulnerable. And I think we're doing a good job as a society in general. Like, let's keep paying attention to this. You don't just like leave people behind because they're a, a suck or a drain on society or they make your life miserable because they're pooping in the street while you're going to get, pick up your Starbucks or, or whatever. We're trying to be like, eh, let's, let's not get Let's get, not get too pragmatic in our scientific advancement where we start acting like certain people are, aren't, aren't worthy of the same thing that you adjudicator uh, are, you know what I mean? And I'm excited, yeah. I think that's a good thing. And I heard this um, anecdotally, and I, uh, there's an African tribe, and I know Africa's a very big place, I don't remember exactly which one. Yeah. Uh, but I like this idea that like, even when the like warriors would meet, Yeah. Uh, I mean, I assume unless they were actually on at war they would ask some version of how are the children yeah that's the way to to gauge the health of, of the society and to care about each other mm -hmm. um, i don't yeah i don't feel like that's our dominant question here in the united states as a culture. oh god no and that and this can be part of the this is part of the social problem of you're like well we don't well, it's weird. We've made children little kings and queens in some ways, in the way that like we let them dictate their own rearing in a way that generations previous to us would be astonished about. But at the same time, 
like pragmatically and systemically even, I, I think we, and I, but I think it stems from abortion. We, uh, because it's the bottom of the sliding scale. So we're just filling in the gaps. Um, get in where you fit in. Uh, we devalue children pretty highly. And that like the number of children who are like missing meals and close to starving in the United States of America, like it's, like it's same thing with maternal mortality. There are some there are some aspects of our society that are so sh that should be that are rightfully shameful. Like we should be ashamed as a society at our inability to take care of children. But I think it stems from the fact we don't actually. If you can legally kill them, then you're like, well, eh, well, eh, whatever, eh, eh. Then what? Then whatever, whatever. And ultimately, once you grant people the right, you're like, well, you could have killed them. What do you mean? I don't have to. I've given you the legal right. You can legally kill your kid. You didn't have to have a starving kid. You didn't have to be broke with your four children. You could have gone and killed them. That would have cost you like a couple hundred bucks a pop. Or if you live in California, Medicaid pays for it. So literally the state pays for you to do it. So it's like they, they kind of feed they kind of feed each other. So it's hard to solve, solve all the problems at once. But we also have to, I'm recognizing as most pro-life people I know recognize there's a lot of problems. There's a ton of problems to solve. Yeah. We just want to, yeah, you know, I'll take it to that. <clears throat> I think one of the opposing thoughts there is that, yeah. well, if we're choosing to kill some and, and allow some to live, then we're making better choices about who is here and we're going to provide for them in better ways. Yeah. You know, you, you would hope. Theoretically, yeah. Theoretically. Right? Theoretically. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah. But here in Chicago, I mean, last I heard, there's maybe, yeah, maybe 15,000 kids, you know, going hungry. So you don't have to go to some quote unquote third world country. No, not at all. Which I know is a term in a long list of terms, I think we're uh, facing, trying to face, yeah, trying to face out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's transition. Um, but let's, let's maybe, I don't want to run, I want you to run the, um, yeah, principle that, the outline, but we could flip those principles too, though, since we flipped the previous ones. We could start with what principles does abortion, legal abortion uphold, if that makes sense. As yeah. Both, you know what I'm saying? To so kind of yeah. be able to go back and forth on them. Yeah, I think, um, right. So, uh, so moving into principle view, what principles does abortion uphold? Yeah. And then, and then, and then we'll ask what principles does it violate? have a feeling yes some of these may dance between they might yeah i think that's a cool thing about it so i mean the number one for me being pro-choice yep. is that it upholds the sovereignty of the uh, adult pregnant person we know about that's right in front of us yeah is that a is that a principle is my first is my question because i have sovereignty on here for sure but is that a like is that in any way a principle or and I've I've accused myself of doing this in the same episode <laughs> just so everyone knows um, where like is that tailoring like I might have done with a with murder is that tailoring a principle in order to suit the, this particular thing like because I like to me like the sovereignty of it, of the individual is a, is a, I would say that is a principle but like do we, is that a principle we hold that like so, the sovereignty of adult individuals. And there's this, I'm not saying this like it isn't, but is that a principle somehow separate or unique or distinct from 
from the the, the more um, what's the word? I don't know. The the, princi- the broader principle or the more specific principle. Well, I did find myself adding the word adult there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I assume means because well, children aren't sovereign in our yeah they aren't they yeah they yeah have rights and yes all rights anyway yeah so yeah and and I don't mean to phrase it that way uh in in as a I don't believe that principle um automatically I mean means that it that it overcomes other kinds of sovereignty which I know are important to you sure 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 uh, yeah. I just mean like st- like standing alone if we could like carve that out yes that yeah yeah person, yeah that person deserves their their sovereignty yeah 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 that makes sense yeah to me uh, the biggest one is just freedom in the absolute or pure sense um, and I think the I know freedom is I guess according to some headlines is like a right wing thing uh, when I was growing up it was not it was more of a everybody thing or um but yeah but 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 full-on freedom uh in the purest sense legal legal abortion yeah allows allows people to volitionally exercise freedom principally sure damn and i'm not trying to pepper in the the negative but there is a sort obviously a damn the torpedoes uh, kind of sensibility to it um but i think individual i guess this sort of relates to the individual but like individual freedom i think is certainly enhanced by and i know this is maybe even a repetition but i, I think that's the uh, of the sort of invasion of the state was sort of the harm aspect but i think this is the principle it violates yeah and i may be using freedom and sovereignty kind of interchangeably in this case. So yeah, to me, those are pretty well aligned. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I think uh, legal abortion upholds the principle of, uh, this is, I'm gonna, I wrote it down a particular way, uh, individual agency to evaluate threats and deal with them as you see fit. Which allows essentially a an individually relative, a relativistic uh, adjudication of your environment. And I think that's a, I, I know that's a long version of it, but I do think uh, the preservation of life as you recognize it, um, it's kind of an intermingled, probably like two principles, honestly. But anyway, I think, I think that, is a, that is an important principle that is built into our legal system. People say like, right, they're like, and I, I actually hate it in the legal system, but I, I like it as a principle where like police will ask, well, did you feel like your life was in danger? And that's like, so they're literally asking you your subjective evaluation of your subjective experience of the threat in order to like whether they arrest this person or not. I was like, well, what if you're just a calm person who doesn't easily get shook? And you're like, well, no, I'm not afraid of any human being, but that person was going to kill me. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was aware that person was gonna kill me. Doesn't mean you have to be afraid. But I do think there's a principle involved there that is important, which is every person is going to have a different perception of threat. And there is, it is vitally important for us to be able to, at the very least, contribute that information of this is what I felt and knew as best as I could adjudicate to be true. You know, if someone kills a kills a dog or whatever, and you'd be like, why did you kill that dog? And you're like, I thought, I felt like that dog was gonna kill me. And sure, you can then go into, I think there are other things that are important to evaluate that. But the fact that you're, the fact that you should be allowed to say, and it is a relevant 
in, like it is a relevant element, your, your sense of threat. Um, and I think it's key to evaluating like whether you end a life, right? Is whether you feel like this life within you is going to threaten your life, whether that's quality of life or trajectory of life or literal, like meaning you would die. Like we have to factor in how that person professes to feel. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's, and it's kind of a tangled one. I, and, it's, and, and again, I think, I do think it might even be two principles, but. Yeah, and I am, to me that agency, sovereignty, I mean, just, just trusting, right? Trusting a lot of this, so much of this seems to, to um, boil down to, do we trust women? And I think as a society, I would say largely we don't. Um, so that that's what I hear there. Like, just do we trust oh, the, person, the person, any person really to, yeah. to evaluate the situation yes. at hand and make make a decision? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Right. Yeah. And I don't trust people, humans or whatever. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm by nature, I'm an idealistic person, an optimist, but I'm skeptical of claims. So then if anyone says, oh, I was scared. I thought that person was going to kill me. My first thought is always is not, and this is my lack of empathy, uh, is not, oh no, my my third, my first thought is always, really? Really? So that's why it's why I love talking to you, because I think your your instinct is more like, oh no. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh no, that sounds terrible. <laughs> that sounds frightening. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I buy that, but okay. Um, oh, and then free, unless you have one, uh, freedom of religion. Um, because the value of human life. The fact that any human life has value is a religious question. That's a that it's not a, a like a purely objective thing outside of a religious or presuppositional truth claim. Any that any human has value. You, me, the trash man, or the person in my womb. Um, in which case, if freedom religion is a a principle, it certainly is an operating principle for a nation. Then to limit anyone in that is, is ultimately, is a violation technically uh, of, of someone's freedom to practice their religion. Yeah, I'm aligned with that. Yeah. One that's coming for me is, uh, yeah, I don't know, it may sort of straddle the line or you, or you may kick it into the other category, but something like balance with nature or natural order. I think you mm -hmm. brought that up earlier, or maybe around natural order. Um, mm -hmm. And, and it might even be like a macro micro thing. So mm. at a macro level, to me, this relates back to how we consume resources on yeah. earth, which to me is wildly out of balance. And um, so in a way, fewer people, I think is a better relationship with nature, at least the, the way we're doing it now. Like we could also change that <laughs> by changing yeah. how, we, how we consume and how we yeah. Throw, yeah. throw plastic into the ocean and shit like that. Um, yeah. Which, you know, uh, so I'm, I'm not generally, you know, I don't spend much time thinking about population control. Um, <laughs> good, like, good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but based on how we function with nature, I see the yep. benefit of it in that way. Mm -hmm. but again, I, you know, would you consider that a principle? Or? Um, well, I, I don't know. I think, um, uh, what's the word? I don't know what the principle would be. Would be um, just stewardship. I would call it creation, just stewardship of creation. Yeah. I think that is absolutely principle upon the human, uh, just pragmatically as well as ethically. Like we are, as a Christian, it's literally a commandment uh, to sort of 
the dominion or uh, uh, dominion over creation is meant to honor creation. Like we look at the world and all the, the, the entire universe as created by God. And so it'd be, it's disrespectful to treat it disrespectfully or to treat it rapaciously or un, unpragmatically. You know what I mean? So you can kill, you can kill an animal, but like you slaughter all the Buffalo. So like native peoples can't eat. They, they those are, one of those is responsible. This we have to consume life to eat. That's uh, to, and we have to eat li some sort of life, plant or animal, um, in order to continue to exist. Um, the other one is uh, is is mur again. It's between the difference between killing and murdering. Really, that's how. how so so yes, I, I would I would agree with that principle um, as well. Um, if you have any more, we can swap over the other one, or you can you can run us through the wherever we head to next. Um, yeah, let's let's move into what principles does it violate? Does abortion violate? Yeah, I would just say uh, bodily autonomy. The same way in freedom, in the purest sense, abortion, legal abortion, violates bodily autonomy in the in the absolute sense. In that, like it, because I, I would say classically, ethically, your your so the sovereignty of your body ends at the point at which your body. Uh, harms another or invades on another person's sort of sovereign lands. And maybe that's a little separatist and not as communal as I could be uh, principally, but I think it's a pretty safe one. Um, and for me, there's the, the geographic location of that person, whether they're at arm's length, uh, ex reach, reaching out or arm's length reaching in uh, is, a, is of no consequence to the absolute um, violation of uh, bodily autonomy. Yeah. And you know, catching it in the definition of life starting at conception, uh, you know, yes, that is, when we're talking about the autonomy of two humans, that to me is the principal conflict here. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I guess this might even be the same, but it's same or different is this, and we've already kind of talked about this, so we don't have to do it, but I just want to list kind of in a way, the sovereignty of the in individual. Meaning we, we presuppose uh, in that um, outside of a volitional expression that someone's life be ended or their own attempt to end their life. We kind of presuppose the king to remain alive in order for the king to continue to rule us all being kings and queens of our own, the domain uh, of ourselves. Um, so I think it sort of overrides, it overrides sover the sovereignty of the internal, <laughs> the internal individual. <laughs> uh, so maybe the distinction, I think I, I muddle these words a little bit. Autonomy being more about, like I, I am autonomous in a, and I-, I like, Yeah, operational. Yeah, I exist as a, as a, I don't know. I know we were just talking about individualism. It's a whole other episode, but I, yeah, I, I exist on my own. I am, I am, I am a biological being. Um, and then sovereignty being more about, and probably more like related to agency. Like, do I? Yeah. Yes, I think so I, too. Yeah. I have control over my being, and um, obviously, yes. In order to have control over a being, that being would have to be alive. Yeah, that was well said. I like how you re rephrase that. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, Protection, I would say protection of the vulnerable, uh, I feel like is a social ethical obligation. Um, and I know your work in the sort of intersectionality uh, framework is kind of built sort of uh, upon that. Um, and I do believe it is an individual and social, therefore social responsibility that we are to protect the vulnerable. 
that means people who are not like mentally well enough to be employed, then it is on us uh, on the, as a collective to help figure out what they can do. Cause I, I do want people to like be productive in whatever manner of productive they can manage. And that doesn't have to be in the, within the capitalist system of, of revenue producing, but just of contributing whatever they're contributing. But I genuinely believe that some people's contribution to this existence is to be taken care of. Um, I know some people won't like that. People, anti-welfare people won't like that. But um, again, like with someone born with Down syndrome or my sister is uh, on the spectrum, autism spectrum is probably going to need someone taking care of her her entire life. Um, she contributes what she does contribute to the world. I want her to grow in that and contribute more of what she has to give, whatever it is she has to give. But ultimately, I also feel like it is my... Uh, my dad's, my uh, my stepmom, whoever it is, it is our responsibility as a community to um, to sh take a special care to shelter those that are vulnerable from uh, from harm, from destitution, from starvation, from whatever. I mean, I think that's one of the points of coming together as a collective. However, you assemble yourselves. Yeah, and I want to believe <laughs> you're helping me believe that there could be like that 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 I, that notion could be more broadly applied uh by through the pro pro-life ideology um as a principle obviously outside of the womb right that's that's all life yeah that's, yeah yeah all, it has to all vulnerable life all vulnerable life yeah it has to apply uh well that's to me that's the point of principles is they have to apply either with exclusivity or near exclusivity you know what i mean or essentially as exclusive with exceptions because we're human beings <laughs> like war is like war is evil right war is bad i can go ahead and say that as a principle let's let's avoid war but you can't avoid war so <laughs> or we haven't figured it out yet you know exactly the, yeah. the evidence is clear um, yeah so, um okay any more of the, on principles well for me uh and i have to state it in this the this goes to uh sort of principle related to freedom of religion is uh, for me a principle of existence uh for me rooted in scripture and the word of god is thou shalt not murder and the reason as much as we can ascertain from is because of uh what's called imago dei which means the image of god sort of in genesis says uh you know uh, god created man in the image of god and Honestly, what the image of God means is multi-hypothesis and could mean a whole bunch of different things. But male, men and women are, we're a dimorphic species, we're created equal. So we know men and women are equal in their image of Godness. And so that is the, the principle upon the creational principle, uh, just like in our, um, our constitution functions in the same way, right? These rights have been you know, are endowed by their creator. So that functions in the same faction. So that's the underpinning, the imago dei of all human beings, which is why you don't kill them, which is why human beings have value. Uh, mm -hmm. So then you don't, which is why murder is wrong. So murder is wrong because God said thou shalt not murder. But presuppositionally, uh, we don't murder because essentially it's an, it's an offense not only against sort of natural law, but against God himself, that it's by murdering another person, you are seeking to murder the sort of the God, the, the, the aspect of God, which they are revealed. And they're, and we, humans are distinctly valuable because we're made in the image of God. So that's why murdering a person is different than murdering, say a cow or an elephant or, or a, um, a broccoli or whatever. 
or no, let's say fungi, because they recently found out that fungi might have language of up to 51 words and uh, uh, emo like uh, may experience up to like, I can't even remember how many that like states of quote unquote emote what they perceive maybe what akin to emotion. So let's use fungi. <laughs> well, it is, it is fascinating with animals. Like I, I don't know, I, I usually point to eating meat as the, the, I guess the greatest contribution I am making to destroying the earth. And um, there is something there, you know, when I learned that cuttlefish are, you know, super smart. Yeah, pigs, pigs are really pigs. smart. I was gonna say pigs are pretty smart, but I, I, I blame pigs. I'm sorry, that's a horrible evolutionary strategy to taste that good. <laughs> I know, all you have to do is get one hit by lightning and everything is gonna eat that thing. Let's be honest. Right. All right, so you're-, um, you're But there is a, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't branch off too much, but that to me is, um, I struggle with that because I, because that's starting to evaluate like the value of life more broadly with animals, of course, but it's related yeah. in that way of like, oh, why, why, why did I, I don't know, that feels kind of capitalist, right? To be like, oh, well, this life is, is more valuable suddenly because it's smart, because, because it can yeah. solve a maze or because it has language or the things I can relate to as a, as a, yeah, totally. As a little human, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, that, and that puts us again in that general conundrum is that life must be ended in order for life to continue. That is just how human, that is how all, pretty much every species on the planet consumes some form of life in order to maintain its life. And if you don't consume life, you die straight up. Like if you and I cease consuming some form of, of something that was either still living while we're eating it or was formerly living, then we die. So that puts it, we're, we're a weird, it's a, we're in a weird conundrum. <laughs> it's a weird place to be, man. But anyway, that's why traditionally, uh, at least in the Western world, that would kind of be the separation. Because I've had a lot of conversations. People are like, well, you're opposed to abortion. Do you eat meat? And then I'll be like, do you eat mushrooms? And then we have longer conversations that go just about as well as that does. <laughs> this is actually, this just occurred to me, slight non secret about um, East and West. You know, you know, I swear we're gonna have this whole language episode or maybe 10. Yeah. But you know, I, I saw people pushing against, you know, Eastern and Western. Um, yeah. And I, I certainly I like the maps that kind of redraw the world theoretically according to their actual proportions, or put Africa in the middle. Yeah. Like, because obviously, you know, here in the U.S. is obviously a U.S. centric um, mentality, and yeah, I think we've exported that in many ways. But I was like, well, if Af as a Africa as the center and the motherland. Yeah. Well, East and West actually kind of, I don't know, it seems to make sense from that perspective. That's, yeah, that's kind of our, yeah, that's kind of our, our, our uh, yeah, as we spread out that way and that way and that way. And of course, it has, I think, as much to do with like the flow of ideas or whatever. So then that's the nice thing about sort of East and West is it's not even necessarily uh, the nice thing in modern society. It's not colored. It's not any particular color. You know what I mean? Many of the ideas of the West are fundamentally biblical because the the strange dominion of sort of Christian thought or whatever, um, or even sort of post-Judaic thought, meaning Christian and then Islam. Uh, and most of those thoughts were really crystallized and in many ways homogenized, like in Africa, you know, like in, in, in literally that central, central area. But they did seem to pervade more one direction than the other, which is kind of interesting. Oh, and 
I'm sure, I'm sure I'll have lots of things to drop in from starting to listen to um, the dawn of everything. Uh, but one of the things they pointed out about Greek philosophy, which you know, is our, yeah. our logo, so to speak, uh, yeah. was that it pro back then it probably had more to do with Middle Eastern and African culture than it did with European culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think it goes the world around, the whole asking questions thing. So, okay, so we've lit, lit through uh, cost-benefit analysis, view of view of principles or ethical principles that may be involved. <sighs> so, can hey, breath. Oh, yeah, breath. Always a yeah. good idea. Little plug for my friend just wrote a book called The Leadership Pause. Take a pause. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah. Take, Take a Ever. pause. Uh, take two paws and then realize that's a, that's an animal you just killed. Um, is abortion ethical? We return to the to the question. We kind of bring it in for a landing. There, you actually have literal paws. Take take two paws. So, ethical strengths of abolishing abortion, and then contrasting that with ethical strengths of legalizing abortion. Yeah. Which we kind of looked at at principle and through this. This is sort of in, I thought this is a way to kind of land it in summary. Yes. What have we learned in the um, now I don't know six or so hours? <laughs> yeah. Or recorded hours and then beyond that. Yeah, just recorded. I know. Well, in the context of an an ethic of preserving all life. Yeah, all, all human life and protecting the vulnerable. Uh, that to me seems like an ethical strength of abolishing abortion. Yeah. Let's see what an ethical strength of abortion. Ethical strength of leasing. I think the dominant ethical strength of legalizing abortion is. Oh, it's funny. I think we talked oh, about this off. Wait, I think we're on abolishing. Oh, oh, oh sorry, you're doing abolishing. Oh, gotcha. I thought sorry. Um, oh, echo strength abolishing. Yeah, I would. Um, I think that is the, the principal one. Is uh, is yeah, is upholding the value of human, the value of human individual life, and the ethical strength is maintaining principle in terms of principle maintaining principle clarity on, as opposed to carving out an exception in this area on essentially on murder that we're like this would be a rare like we talked about too that if putting by allowing a mother to decide whether to kill her child um then you are granting a single individual the full sovereign rights ultimately of the state or the ruling body uh, which to some would be good, but judge, jury, essentially a single person to be judge, jury, and executioner, or let's not even, let's let's be serious here. I think we talked about this in text. Actually, the mother isn't usually the person who actually kills the child. It's actually usually a man, uh, dominantly men, but women as well, but literally to another person who's not related to that child. So literally pays for someone to do it. So that person actually should have no agency whatsoever over the individual body that they address. So I think it's a violation in that sense. But um, yeah, we don't carve out an exception for a single individual to become judge, jury, and executioner of any other person. 
I think that's the, that's the, I, I think one of the tentpole ethical strengths. Cause I don't want, I don't, I don't know any other instance where we want that to be a principle that we allow that just sort of without fetter. Like when police do it, who are the closest thing in our society to having that capacity. When a, when a police officer decides in and of himself, this person is a waste of space or a threat to me. I'm judge, jury, and executioner of the guilt of this person and the threat of this person and the uselessness of this person and kills them. Or the state does it, right? And they even even do it after like a, whatever, a 10 month trial, or if it's a horrendous miscarriage of justice, a, a three hour trial, which has certainly happened. Um, yeah, I just, I don't think that principle should be, yeah, I, I think that's, that's such an ethical good that we wouldn't wanna provide any exceptions for that. Yeah, I think that makes sense. <clears throat> so, with the ethical strengths of legalizing abortion. Yes. This may take a little tinkering, but I, what I have is eliminating the state imposition for a pregnant person to provide resources and compromise their life for the sake of another person. Mm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, well, because that one sits alongside the pre the one I just stated too, which then says that that individual is the sole determinant of what evaluates, which is one of the ethical strengths in general we talked about, right? Individual agency to evaluate threats or benefit. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, but I, but I, but I. See it. If nothing else, I can say I understand what you mean. <laughs> I think that's the best we could hope for in this dialogue. <laughs> I don't think it's probably, best probably right. Like yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you mean. I mean, yeah, but you know, as I, as as you know, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I see that. However, you know, it just becomes one of those things, right? You're like, oh well, is that? Can you? Does that internally violate a principle? I guess is my only question. Meaning. Does quality of life or one's individual appraisal of one's quality of life ever become principle, principally ethically allowable, morally correct, morally right as a reason to kill someone else? Or is, is, do, we, do we reserve principally threat, like, like actual threat to existence, like life, not just, not just um, anything outside of that, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm trying to think of anywhere else where that principle would apply. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Like, well, is there a, an, yeah. yeah kind of like, a, like with the gang, I use the weird Genghis Khan thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like well, the, it, can, it can be an outlandish example even. That's the sticky wicket here. I mean, it's it's the way you phrase that, I would say, well, lots of people flat out murder people to steal $50. To yes. In, theoretically improve their life, I don't know. Yes. Yeah. 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 Buy something. You know. Maybe. They, yeah. Maybe. Maybe it was something. A basic need like food. Maybe something else. I don't know. Um, right. So right. That, but that. But we, we obviously don't support that as an ethic as something, something we want happening. Or, or, yeah. 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 I'm trying to. Ethically. Yeah. So to me, this is a, a carved out exception because. Oh, okay. Time one person is literally inside of another person. Yeah. Oh, okay. But that imposition is very clear and present. Yeah. So is it, 
And, oh, so wait, would you carve out a sole exception or do you mean with the exception of uh, undue imposition? You know what I'm saying? Like, is this just literally the only occasion? I, for where I am in my development through this, it is it is a sole exception because okay. otherwise you could imagine all kinds of, you know, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. You're a parent. Have you ever been sick of your children? Um, oh, for sure. Well, yeah, no, because to me, this is that's that's my danger of is like if you carve out an exception for the most vulnerable, then you've got you're at, this is the bottom of the slippery slope uh, uh, concept. Is then anywhere in between, meaning anything like, for example, anyone who is reliant upon the state for their personal welfare, then it is the right of the state to do with that life sort of what you will or likewise for children of any age or again someone of limited neurological development if they're like absolutely reliant on someone else then that person does have sovereign by the same this same principle would have sovereign right to to end that person's life if if they were like this is kind of what they adjudicate the best way which listen we do have other exceptions for so like if someone is in a catatonic state for example um over an extended period of time I think as long as we, to me in general, I was like, I would, I would agree with your principle in as much as, as long as we exhaust every other, uh, what is it, every other um, attempt to, to, to make this life continue, right? Like in the, uh, since the doctor is the one ending it, right? And they're violating the original Hippocratic Oath, which literally prohibits abortion. But the, if the first ethical principle of a doctor is to do no harm, Harm, let's be honest, they must violate that principle frequently, a la uh, chemotherapy or surgery. You're literally slicing into someone. That is harm. It is harm when you stab a knife in someone. And even if it's a nice, clean scalpel, that is harm. So they're doing harm and violating the principle. However, you don't generally ever do any of those things unless you have ex exhausted previous, you, you, like you make as many attempts as possible before you do the thing that that may lead to harm or has or has danger to it. You know what I mean? Except in obviously emergency scenarios, there are emergency exceptions. But prince, but principally, I think as long as you exhaust every other attempt. But again, this is maybe this is me harking too much on the on the like preservation of life. Like okay, well, like capital punishment, you have to like you better have a long trial and it better be fair. And if we find it, it's in no way not fair. You pull them off death row immediately. You know that that sort of thing. Like I'm, I think I'm, I have an abundance of caution, perhaps. In, in that uh, in that application, or same thing with the medical procedures, or blah blah blah. Yeah, it almost it almost feels like a de facto power of attorney. Um, yeah, yeah. Of, of the pregnant person, um, I think one thing that you and I hold very differently is because to me, like the, the exception here is like the radical truth that this is a unique the, the gestation of human life is a unique circumstance. Yeah, all, all other examples. It's it's like two beings out in the air, right? Yeah, uh, you know. And so I'm, you know, I'm not I'm not here arguing uh, that that fetus is not necessarily a human life. Yeah, but I am arguing for the exception that it's inside of another person. Uh, yeah. So that that to me is is just what I always come back to. Whereas I yeah. feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you maybe even think that's irrelevant. It's just like, well, they are two lives. doesn't matter if they're inside each other or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, yeah, I don't, I don't, because to me, I guess that's like a geographical, like a geographical exception, principally. And I was like, I don't, I don't, I think, yeah, I would, I just, yeah, I guess I don't carve out uh, geographic exceptions um, or 
uh, what is it then the elements right a geographic exception or a developmental exception or a um, what's the word like responsibility power of attorney exception right um, because I was like well that doesn't principally apply anywhere else so then but of course is this the is this the exception that proves the rule <laughs> right that makes the that makes that makes the uh, yeah, that makes the um, the rule a rule. Although that, oh, I have something you brought up last time that I thought was really cool. You kept using this phrase, and I've used it this week a couple of times, was um, dignity and agency. And then we also talked a little bit about like, uh, maybe this is offline on like a duty and obligation. Is there an ethical obligation for a parent to do their best to foster their children's uh, life growth and development? Now, knowing that there could be multiple principles to to also counter that, for example, right? Like sometime a, a parent, let's say their child is a serial rapist and keeps robbing their home and eventually they end up catching their child in their house, raping their sister and they shoot their child in the head. Um, that would obviously violate the principle, but I would be okay with that personally. That would be extenuating, you know, allowing for extenuating circumstances. Um, but yeah, but I would say that there is an ethical, for parents, there is an ethical, it is an ethical good as opposed to ethical bad to foster, care for, and protect the life of your child. Oh, but that may be a principle you don't, you don't think exists or whatever. I just, but I was like, I realized we hadn't talked through that yet. But it brought, when you brought I, up- I, 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 do, I generally do actually. Uh, and I think oh, okay. that, that is a conflict because um, it is essentially coming back to like the moment of birth being, I guess, the moment that defines when that. Yeah. And again, it, I mean, it does fit. It is uh, consistent with that exception because the moment of birth is the moment that the two bodies become independent. Uh, of, well, that's not the right word. They're clearly very dependent of each other, uh, even at the moment of birth. Um, but yeah, yeah, separate, yeah. physically separate. Like I, that's, I get... So much of this to me just hinges on, on that. Yeah, or yeah, no longer, uh, yeah, what is it? Uh, geographically intermingled or, uh, yeah. yeah. The, the, Venn, the Venn diagram is uh, is no longer completely overlapped. Yeah. I, mean, the Venn yeah, I mean, the Venn diagram is literally a, you know, it's a circle inside of a circle. It's not even, it's not even really Venn, except in principle. Um, yeah, okay, okay, cool. Well, cause I, cause that's a, a principle I do think is important consider a lot of people don't, I don't even think, think about because I, I, yeah, I would consider that an ethical good, which is why it's very, I guess I can just answer because we don't, I know you do have to do other things in your life. Um, and I would love to think about something else for next week. Um, <laughs> um, We're releasing ourselves. We, we've, yeah, from like, yeah, we, hey, we've solved everything. You're welcome. Um, no, but that, um, <laughs> that it is, so to me, it clearly makes abortion unethical. Like it makes an ethical wrong or ethical bad or an ethical violation. Like it literally is morally wrong. It is ethically improper to abort your child, even if it is, and it, but while still allowed, we've had plenty of conversation as to whether it was, would be legally allowable or all that sort of thing. But I think that's in some ways why I think uh, we did we haven't talked too much about specifics of application, other than like the social harms that could that could result or will likely result from either abolition or or continuance. Um, but I think that. And I, I, it's funny. I don't know. Like I fully would have thought of it had you not brought up the word dignity. I think dignity really was like, I think that's such a good word when you say dignity and agency, because that's even different than sovereignty. Because sovereignty, we can think of like a tyrant is still a sovereign, a sovereign, you know what I mean? But right. dig 
means a, a no, like dignity has to do with like nobility. Like you are like, you, you are worthwhile and you act and you act like it. <laughs> You're made in the image of God and you act like it. You know what I mean? I think dignity is excellent. Just a cool word choice. And I liked it a lot. Well, thank you. Yeah. yeah. That was been for several years now, actually. <laughs> like, I think I've looked at a lot of things through that lens. Like, well, what is, is the dignity and agency exist here or how could it? And yeah, it's challenging to like, have a, a very concise um, framework or worldview. It's yeah, it's, no, yeah, no doubt. That's why this takes six hours. <laughs> well, uh, I feel complete with this. Uh, in some ways, I, I mean, I, I, I've said this a few times. I've certainly yep. learned a lot. It's it's opened up so many more questions. I will continue learning and growing. Um, Maybe someday parts of this podcast will make me cringe. I don't know, uh, but we're here to put it out and have these discussions from a place of love and respect and dignity. Um, and we're not here to impose that on you. And we're not here to uh, say we have all the answers. Uh, but no. there it is. Yeah, this is possible, y'all. You can have these conversations. And I, uh, I never screamed at Andy that he was a baby killer. You had to end it on that, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, I think that's what because I really, truly, I mean, like, I think that's the thing people are so afraid of. I, I, and I know it sounds silly, but this is another episode. But people are definitely afraid in our culture. Oh my gosh, I'm like such a like AM radio. You know what people are afraid of in our culture? They're afraid of being called names, but it's really true. People are afraid of being called racist, homophobe, transphobe, uh, whatever. Uh, capitalist pig uh but people are like being afraid of being called baby killer or i don't, I don't know what, what what is what are the mean things what's a mean insult people say about pro-life people i was trying to think of one crazy just gotta, just gotta, yeah 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 i think it's quite as like yeah. direct um, <laughs> yeah 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 well, um, i guess i need to spend more time yeah mother showering yeah. uh, woman, for, woman for hater there you go misogynist anti-pro-life yeah, uh memes but yeah 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 uh, yeah, uh, yeah misogynist so like people are so afraid of being called names All, honestly a because they're feared of they're afraid of tribal rejection but they're also afraid of what if those names are true but again we can talk we can talk to each other we can disagree we can wrangle it out and i think the same unity that you and i have andy towards the if nothing else the hope of reducing harm. I, if I invite anyone who wants to have these kinds of conversations, at least offer that as some sort of olive branch in any of these conversations. Enter in, assuming until proven otherwise that the person you're speaking to wants to make the world a better place. And hopefully they will assume the same of you and we can have these conversations till the cows come home. So thank you for talking to me and helping me think, Andy. Thank you. Love you. Love you.